Weather. It's always around us, and it's dynamic, an ever-changing sea of air. And sometimes it changes more quickly than we can anticipate. Fog. Approaching fronts. They can quickly turn a VFR day into IMC. Not a big deal if you have an instrument rating. But what if you don't have an instrument rating? Do you have an out? We'll hear one pilot story of just such a scenario on this episode of I Laughed. I learned about flying from that. Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of Flying Magazine's I Learned About Flying From That podcast, sponsored by the Avemco Aviation Insurance Company. I'm your host, Rob Ryder. And today, we'll meet Barry Ross. And if you've been reading the I Laughed column over the years, you know him, or at least you know his artwork. For many years, he provided the illustrations that accompanied the articles. He's also a pilot, and he'll share his story of getting trapped by weather that wasn't supposed to be there, right after this message from Avemco. Stability. If you're like most pilots, that's a word that's important. And it's important to Avemco Insurance. They've been protecting GA pilots for 60 years and have been rated A++ for stability. You'll instantly save 5% off your annual premium just by being an iLaft listener. Save up to 25% with the Avemco Safety Rewards Program. To learn more, call 800-338-8705 or Go to avemco.com slash flying. Now, I learned about flying from that. Barry Ross has work that if you have looked at Flying Magazine and read the I Left columns, you've seen his work, even if you haven't noticed and known his work. He has been the artist for many years for the I Left columns, and now... You've got a story that fits right in with the I Laughed experience. Uh, welcome to I Laughed, and tell me a little bit about what got you into flying and how you got connected artistically with Flying Magazine. It all kind of happened at the same time, about when I was, oh, maybe five years old. Is, uh, my dad took me to um, uh, what was then LaGuardia Airport as a surprise visit. Uh, we lived in the Bronx, and we took a train and a bus and went to the the, uh, uh, the old uh, building that housed everything. And we went to the fence and just sat there, or stood there, and we heard the throb of engines, and a complete squadron of B-17s came down the taxiway with the wings right over our heads, and um, the co-pilots leaning out and waving to us, and I was absolutely thrilled. It was like such a wonderful experience and I thought boy I hope I get to do that one of these days and then subsequently I just loved airplanes and I was already drawing I was already you know um, even at was, five years old you were drawing I started about when I was six or seven okay and and my father was an artist and he he noticed that I liked drawing and he brought me supplies and books on drawing and and it was about that time it was pre-television also so Evenings were spent with the with the book, the 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 book about how to draw noses or eyes or heads or whatever. Really? Yeah. It was it was it was really very sweet, and so I knew I knew even then that I was going to be an artist, and that's what I was going to do. Period. 
And I wanted to be an artist that told stories, not just, you know, uh, which means that one is an illustrator. That's, that's the whole idea. You illustrate stories. And then I proceeded to go to a special high school in New York City, which was for music and art students, and uh, uh, ended up winning the, a medal from the city of New York as the best student illustrator or best student artist in the city. Congratulations. Thought, yeah, it was, it didn't go to my head, <laughs> but it was, it just felt, isn't that nice? I mean, it's terrific. And, uh, and then I, I, I guess I got, I went to Pratt Institute uh, in Brooklyn and graduated uh, with a degree in, in fine arts. Um, I also had wanted to be a pilot, already wanted to be a pilot and had applied to the Army Aviation Program. And it turned out this was, this was now just prior to, after Korea and just prior to Vietnam. And they didn't need pilots at that point. Oh my. And I went with a couple of friends down to, to have the physical. My, I had 20-20 eyesight, uh, but I had an astigmatism in one eye and the doctor said, you know, there, there are 20 guys here and I can only pick six and your eyes are simply not good enough to compare with the rest, so I'm afraid I'm gonna turn you down. Were you so heartbroken? I wouldn't say I was heartbroken, but it, 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 it was disappointing. Sure. And they had offered me an RA commission, a regular army commission, if I wanted to become a pilot. They, they still offered me that commission if I wanted to you know, go into the army as more of a career, but I realized I didn't. You know? And so I took a, uh, I elected to, to go to the infantry school, become a reserve officer, and when I got out of the active duty six months uh, and was in the reserves, I used my reserve money to learn how to fly. Ah, so, yes. Did you learn in a Cub or what, what airplane did you learn to fly? I started in? out in a Ronca Champ. Oh, my gosh. And I loved it. It was like, and the, the airport was up uh, in a town called Spring Valley, just upriver, up the Hudson River from New York City. And um, it took me an hour to get there. And I usually had an hour in the <laughs> in the champ, um, and I just loved it. I mean, I really, you know. And the guy who was training me was a former Navy pilot, and uh, and he said, "You you do this pretty well." You know, it felt natural. It really felt. It wasn't hard. It was just felt. It felt really good. And, and then, as the years went by, did you read Flying Magazine and did you see the I Laughed column? Did that did that pique your interest? Yeah, I would read Flying Magazine, and I would read the flying column i had already uh, at that time wanted to do flying drawings and so i took i made samples of airplane drawings and so on brought it down to flying magazine which at that time was on park avenue and brought it to the art director and he looked at it yeah that, that's pretty nice uh, well stay in touch you know <laughs> simple as that but i kept after him and then at some point, maybe three or four months later, he called me up and said, I think I can use you for an illustration. Not, not one for, for the I learned about flying, but just an illustration. He was very happy with it. And then um, maybe a month or two later, I got another, another assignment. And then when the, the fellow who was doing the I left column passed away, um, he called me up. He says, how would you like to take over in doing the I left, learned about flying column? And I thought that was fabulous. I mean, it was just perfect. And, you know, back in those days, you know, uh, Richard Bach 
was one of the guys who would come in all the time, and he was oh writing. Oh my the goodness! Magazine. And yes, uh, you know, it was like um, it was great, and it was the friendliest, most family kind of, of, of organization. It really was very open and very very sweet. Oh, that's good. Well, tell me now. How is it that you, after doing all these years of illustrating for the I Laughed column, what was it? Tell me about what happened that that gave you the desire not to be an artist for, but to be a contributor to I Learned About Flying from That. Tell us about that flight up in Maine and Portland and your set designer buddy. My friend Alan and I were in Bar Harbor. We had a great weekend. The forecast was for... Uh, on Monday was for, for clear weather, you know, period. And when we woke up on Monday morning and I looked out the window, we were fogged in. And although the forecast had been for clear weather uh, for the Monday as well, with the only proviso being that there was a cold front coming through that wouldn't get there till about 5 o'clock. You so know. you've been lied to overnight... And you don't have you didn't have an instrument rating, right? No, no. And you have a Cessna 150 at that point. Exactly. And mm. and I remember saying to Alan, you know, we're, we we can't get out of here until this fog lifts. And the fog was only around Bar Harbor. It, was, <laughs> it, it wasn't down the coast. There was no fog. The the weather reports were for clear weather all the way down to the Cape, and and so the area that we had all this fog was only about 25 miles, but it was solid. And um, there was no way that I could fly up through it legally. Of course and, not. You know, and so we waited it out, you know, we waited and then finally about noontime, it started to break up a little bit. And I thought, well, let's get out of here and see how far south we can get. You know, it was still kind of patchy, you know, here and there. And I got the next weather report, which said, oh, you, you know, 25 miles south, no fog clear all the way down to the Cape. All right, let's do it. And so, uh, you know, we, it was an interesting flight because I had to kind of keep my finger on the map and say, okay, it's this island, that island, this part here, here's this, this, and Swan's you know, Island, Ilaho, Vinyl Haven, all of those. Right exactly. Down from Bar Harbor. Yeah. And so we finally got down just opposite Portland when, I, and I had just gotten a new, had been on, on, the, on the radio with them and uh, he said, where are you going? I mentioned that I was heading down to the Cape. And he said, have you checked the weather? I said, uh, oh, I'll do that now. Yeah, please check the weather. You know? And, and you know, he, was just, he already knew that the things were changing. But I, I didn't know at that point. I said, I will do that. And I checked the weather. It still indicated that it was clear down to Falmouth, Mass. Now, when uh, you're doing this, you're going off. What year was this? Tell me what year this, when this took place. Oh, it, it had to be like in the early 80s. So yeah. you're still calling flight service stations yeah. to get that information. This is pre-ADSB and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. No, there was nothing other than who you talk to. Yeah. And, you know, and then at that point, I'm looking out the window in front of me, and I see this fog bank maybe 10 miles ahead of me, you know, in front of me. And I said, gee, that's not supposed to be there. Oh, you know, my. And then I also knew that there was this cold front coming through. And I looked to the west, and there was this huge black buildup with lightning about 10 miles further west. 
Oh my that was, gosh! You know, this was like at four in the afternoon, so they, it was coming through earlier than anticipated. Uh, I then turned around and I noticed that now the fog was forming along the coast, and when I turned completely around, I made a, a big circle. It was behind us as well. I was in this circle of fog, and with this huge thunderstorm to my west coming toward us with lightning, the wind hadn't picked up yet. And I have to say that I was pretty frightened at that point. In your fear, did Alan sense that fear as well, your buddy sitting next to you in that 150? He was or was he oblivious? totally oblivious. He was busy snapping his camera. Oh, look at the clouds. Look at the fog. Look at this. Look at that. At which point I, I then said, Alan, you're going to put, put your camera away. We have a situation. And I have to figure out how we're going to get on the ground. You know. And At that point, he decided to get nervous with you, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh. I don't think he ever really got nervous. You know, he didn't know. You know, ignorance is bliss. He simply gotcha. didn't know. We were over a racetrack, which is on the, on the charts. And I looked down thinking, well, that would be my last resort. You know, if, if, I, if this storm moved in and anything happened, well, I'd put it on the infield of the racetrack. But probably would have wiped out the plane because it wasn't like a grass field. It had bumps and hollows and bushes and so oh on. Oh my! And so I, I'm circling it, and I, I said, "Okay, let's let's get let's get back to, you know, to Portland, uh, you know, air traffic control." So I called them up, and um, told them who I was. And the guy on the on the other end said, "We are really happy to hear your voice. We have been watching you all this time, wondering when would you call us for help." That's oh exactly gosh. what he said. Oh, my goodness. And I said, well, I'm calling you for help right now. And he said, okay, um, do you think you could manage flying on instruments? And I said, if I have to, I, I'll do it. I think I can. You know, he said, okay, proceed north. I will tell you when to turn. And, and, and he gave me an altitude to come down to. So I did that. And now I'm flying the clouds in front of me. And I look to the right where the airport is. Couldn't see the airport at all. It was just a fog bank. And he said, okay, make a right turn. And he, I think it was uh, one, one degree, uh, you know, as a heading and start descending. And tell me when you see the, the, the lights. And uh, so I turned. Turned and you were headed right to the clouds, right? Exactly. It was maybe, you know, like uh, 500 feet in front of me, something like that. And it was well above my, you know, the altitude I was at. And you couldn't see the ground. All I could see was this big white cloud. And so I got focused on the instruments and, and on keeping my heading. And I said to Alan, Alan, look out the front and look for a blinking light that moves quickly in front of us. Uh, look for the, the light, rabbit. The rabbit. And then at this point, the, the controller said, uh, do you see the rabbit? Do you see any lights? I said, no. And I heard him sigh and he said, well, let me turn the lights up full. And he turned up the entire airport lights, all of them, to full strength. And I still couldn't see anything. Oh, my gosh. At which point, um, Alan said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, look there, look there. And I look out, and there was the about 100 feet below me. And I just lowered down so I was right over them and continued along with the lights under my nose. 
So you were descending into the clouds, paying attention to your attitude indicator with with only having had a minimum amount of of hood time to get your private license, right? Correct. Um, Was this something that had you totally frightened or were you able to trust the instruments? I, oddly enough, (laughs) I felt very calm. I didn't feel frightened. I felt, Barry, just pay attention to what you're doing and you'll be okay, period. You know, and so I did that. And I had to keep Alan quiet because he's busy talking about, look how pretty that is and how pretty that is. (laughs) You know, but then finally when I saw the rabbit, I knew we were fine. Now I had a a frame of reference. I had a point of reference. So you let down. Yeah, I was right over when I uh, when I we saw the lights. I was only fifty feet above them, you know, and it was still you know, at that point it was breaking up, you know. So I could actually look through a little bit and see the runway and see the runway lights. Um, so I got down on the runway, you know, landed, took the first exit I could get off, and the <laughs> the, and the, the ground controller said, uh, "Would you like progressives?" to where you want to go. I said, well, frankly, I want to go to where you are. I want to come upstairs <laughs> and shake your hands. Sure. <laughs> and so he directed me to the control, the control tower. And there was this rather distinguished white-haired guy waiting. And he shook my hand. He said, I want to tell you, we're really so pleased that you made it. Well, tell you what, let's take a break. And then we'll come back and then we'll dissect it a little bit and find out what you learned about flying from that. We'll be right back. Personal service. Two words that are important to a consumer. And they're just as important to Avemco Insurance. The Avemco Aviation Insurance Specialists understand pilots. They'll answer your questions. They're empowered to solve problems, and they can even approve coverage based on your individual situation, not what some rule books say. Call Avemco at 800-338-8705. 800-338-8705 and learn about coverage personalized for what you fly and how you fly it. Now, back to ILAF. We're back with Barry Ross, who, as a non-instrument rated pilot, successfully flew through the clouds and was able to see the rabbit, so to speak, and land safely at Portland, Maine, after an encounter with weather that was not what he expected. Barry, you had some challenging times there. What did you learn about flying from that? I think the first thing I learned was don't take anything for granted. You know, the fact that I was told that there's no weather to the south doesn't mean it's not going to change, even though they're reporting a particular kind of weather. And then certainly once I started flying south and kept seeing the buildup of, you know, of clouds, uh, as I approached Portland, I remember feeling, well, maybe we should land in Portland. You know, why take a chance? And I said, no, no, we'll just go on. That was the first mistake. I should have landed in Portland. It was obvious that I had this thunderstorm coming 10 miles away. It was closer than, than I thought. I was seeing the fact that there was banks of clouds in front of me and building on the, you know, to the left. Um, I should have turned around while I could still make out 
Portland's runway and landed, you know, but I didn't. And uh, that was the first thing. That was, that was a mistake. Um, I was lucky, you know. I, I was also lucky that the controller was willing to take a chance on uh, giving me uh, asthmas to come in. He was doing it. It's illegal for him to do that. He should have been fired. Oh, I, I was not aware of that because yeah, because no, you I, I were not, not instrument rated. Rated. Right. He still gave you headings that put you right into the clouds. Exactly. Ah. And then you know after that that uh, that story came out in Flying Magazine, he wrote me an email. You know he was had retired twenty years earlier. You know wrote me an email describing how frightened he was to give me those azimuths in the with the possibility that I wouldn't have made it but he somehow felt that I could make it and so you know <laughs> it was just a wonderful coming together and and I you know I, I owe my life to him in a way you know so and, the controllers you weren't even getting flight following at that point they watched you sort of poking your way through this and right. were hoping that you would call back and ask for help. Exactly. Wow. So, um, Did you ever a, get an instrument rating? No. I had started on one before that and I had done the, you know, a lot of the, of the classwork and, and done some instrument time but I couldn't afford it. I had two kids that were in, in you know beginning college. I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And then I had a lot of friends that had instrument ratings that weren't using them, you know, and I felt that, you know what, unless I was using it all the time, uh, there was no point. And unless I had a plane that was really an instru instrument airplane, why would I do this? And so since I, I loved flying VFR and uh, tailwheel, you know, it was, it was like, um, yeah, subsequently I, I, I bought a Cetabria, which I had for about 12 years. Oh, boy. What a fun airplane. It was great. And I took lessons, aerobatic lessons, and, and, you know, and that was the kind of flying I needed, I wanted to do. So, and even my friends that have, you know, instrument ratings, um, most of them are not current. Most of them, I, I wouldn't want to even go anywhere with them. <laughs> yeah. Well, the lessons learned are good for all of us, specifically with respect to the importance of the instrument rating. I, there are those that I have run into who have said the instrument rating they believe is the most important rating you can get. And had you had an instrument rating at that point, it would have been a non-issue for you to, uh, to ask for a clearance and then put down through the clouds without any difficulty shooting an ILS or a, a localizer approach. Yeah, even leaving Bar Harbor. It wasn't like, you know, an instrument-rated pilot would have just gone right up through the, you know, the, the fog bank on top and he'd be free. You know, it would have, wouldn't have been a problem. And probably you know. would have made it all the way back to the Cape without difficulty. True. <laughs> Barry Ross, thank you for your talent as an artist with Flying Magazine for all those years. Thank you for sharing your story because that kind of pressure and the way you responded to it, keeping your head, uh, is something that uh, we all need to be able to do. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I hope I don't have too many more stories to tell like this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Thanks, Barry. 
I really appreciated Barry's story today, and I'd add only one thing, that the instrument rating is probably the most important next step in your aviation journey. What you learn about flying with reference only to instruments, about weather, and about the air traffic control system could be a lifesaver if you ever inadvertently encounter IMC. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll subscribe, share, and follow ILAFT on Flying Magazine on Facebook or Instagram, where we'll post new episodes so everyone can hear the first-hand accounts of the flying lessons that sometimes only experience can teach. For Avemco Aviation Insurance and Flying Magazine, fueling the passion for flight since 1927. I'm Rob Ryder. Catch you next time on I Learned About Flying From That.